Take it from the top. Take one. This is Within. Shifting the conversation on who is in prison. Recording within three prisons across the Colorado Department of Corrections. Denver Women's Correctional Facility. Sterling Correctional Facility. Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center. Denise Price. Andrew Drake. Terry Mosley Jr. Sean J. Marshall. Ashley Hamilton. Sarah Berry. Brett Phillips. Angel Lopez. Travis Barnes. Matthew Labonte. Ms. Grant. Here at Within, as we work to shift the conversation on who is in prison, we've asked our guests and our hosts to freely share their perspective. The opinions expressed in this podcast are strictly those of the person who gave them. Because we recorded this season virtually across so many sites, there's going to be moments where our sound quality is not as perfect as we wanted it to be. We'll ask for your understanding and let you know that we're always working to provide a wonderful listening experience. This episode of Within contains mature content surrounding opinions on race, class, and societal and economical separation. While listening to this episode and sensitive content, we ask that you please take care of yourself. With racial and political tensions being extremely high right now, the dissemination of misinformation regarding political organizations has become pervasive. Therefore, at the outset of today's conversation, I would like to lay the foundation for our listeners and provide proper context as to how both the Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter movements actually came to be. Simply put, the Black Lives Matter movement came about in 2013. Three black women, Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tometi, birthed the black-centered political movement. Since its inception, the organization has grown exponentially, forming chapters in various cities across America and even creating a global network. To quote the organization's founders, their mission is as follows. The Black Lives Matter is an ideological and political intervention in a world where black lives are systematically and intentionally targeted for demise. It is an affirmation of black folks' humanity, our contributions to this society, and our resilience in the face of deadly oppression. All in all, BLM serves to underscore the value of black life when it has never been appropriately recognized as valuable and treated as such in America. As for the Blue Lives Matter movement, the organization emerged around December 2014. It was created by a group of New York police officers. Their pro-police response was due to the murdering of two Brooklyn police officers and the increase of vilification and anger with law enforcement surrounding the innumerable cases of police brutality that have occurred since the rise of BLM and long before. The phrase Blue Lives Matter has come to be used by a vast array of individuals who support law enforcement and the nonprofit organization's three-pronged mission is to first raise awareness and enlist the public's aid for the need of police officers. Second, help police officers and assist each other. Third, to provide a police officer's family with comfort and support as they go through hard times. Regardless what group one may support, the Black Lives Matter movement and Blue Lives Matter movement have become polarizing organizations and countless people have chosen their side. Worse still, many would argue that there is absolutely no common ground between the two ever-growing movements. According to mainstream narratives, and I reiterate, according to, most Black Lives Matter supporters view police as an oppressive and systematically racist entity that should be dismantled. And most Blue Lives Matter supporters are said to see BLM and its many followers as radicals seeking to destroy pillars of society or those trying to usher in socialism. That's the political rhetoric that has created a great divide, but today's conversation will consist of voices from opposite sides. Maybe, just maybe, we'll find a way to meet within the middle. This episode of Within, it's not a geography lesson, speaking to the divide in the continents made up of mostly of the Rockies and Andes Mountains. The Great Divide, it's going to be a journey in today's social climate, and we're going to explore the landscape of our history and the present day. 
We're going to explore the rocky ground we're all willing to cross through the telling and asking of personal experience. Denise, did you know that we as mankind, regardless of whatever continent or whatever country you were in, way back when, that we as tribes would sit down around fires at night and tell stories? These would be stories of warriors and foes, of ancestors long gone, ancestors that have came, that have went, folklore, right? And through these stories, our tribes would gain knowledge of the history of us as a people. And these stories would also be used to educate us on what does and does not work in our societies. We built narratives in our heads from these stories, stories that have been told throughout our lives, stories of who is the villain, who is the hero, justice, mercy, what equality looks like. You know, this is how we get Captain America and, and all these different heroes that we, we idolize. And all of these tales are passed on and on and they're passed around for centuries. And Denise, it's not 1920. It's not uh, 1820, 1720. Here we are. It's 2021. We're recording a podcast and we're still telling these stories. You know, 2020, I, you, just, you say 2020 and I think of what you just said. And I, I know we're tribal by historically, you know, and I know Ashley's talked about it before. We still are tribal in a lot of ways. And 2020 kind of brought Americans face to face with the stories that we have all been told about who are villains, who are heroes. And I think not a lot of us really wanted to acknowledge the story we had accepted and what we've written. And you're right, because the stories that we've written and the stories that we've accepted have all taken on a very unique narrative. And that is depending on who you are, because depending on that, the roles of the villains and the heroes are becoming blurrier and they're different. They're not what they once were. And it seems that our country has been split along either blue or black lines and our heroes and our villains fall somewhere in there. Because throughout the whole summer of 2020 and carried into 2021, we saw young men and women of all colors, of all races and all creeds. They were protesting because they view the police as the villain and they are fueled by the deaths of unarmed men, sleeping women and autistic folks, all at the hands of what one side of our country has traditionally defined as the hero. But you know what? That's not all. Because I also look at the young black men in the streets attacking random Asian people ever since the pandemic began. And they feel as if they're the hero and that these random Asian people are the villains. And in that that sense, in that breath, it's no different because it's all crazy. It feels like it's crazy out there, but I think that... the roles of who is a villain and who is a hero. And I'm going to speak to like the specific of like, cause you mentioned like the killing of a sleeping black woman and an autistic young black man. And those are just specific, like high profile things. I don't want to talk about just the highly publicized names. And we didn't mention names because everybody knows, I think if you're not living under a rock, but what about the victims throughout history? There are many, they are countless Throughout history? Yeah. If we go back throughout history, it's countless. There is no number. I would argue that a set number doesn't even exist because there have been so many murders, you know, in dark alleyways, so many murders on boats and ships sailing across the Atlantic, so many murders in the swamps of Louisiana and the Deep South. I mean, I don't even, there's no way you can't even count them. Right. How many babies were kidnapped and sold and killed? How many? How many? Who keeps that ledger? Who keeps this ledger? Can anyone say how many people died in the Trail of Tears? They know roundabouts the count, but no one knows the exact number of people who have passed away. Wow. We know that the deaths occurred, but we don't even know who these people are. So the only example that we do have is the well-publicized deaths. And I can remember when I was a child, the death that woke me up to the fact that there are some people who hate me simply because of the color of my skin. Uh, that was the murder of Emmett Till. I wasn't even born when he was killed, but I saw the pictures and those images, they stuck with me and they stick with me still to this day. You know, the way that he was beaten, brutalized simply because he was black. And, and that opened up a layer of understanding in my young mind. 
And these well-publicized acts are the only examples that we have that we can really point to. And I'm pretty sure that everyone. Mm -hmm. Wait, 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 wait up. Let me back up. Let me get off a race real quick. Because I'm pretty sure that you, Denise, as a woman, have experienced a certain level of hate or bigotry simply because you're a woman. Right. You were born a woman. And for someone to hate you just because you were born a woman. That isn't right. That doesn't even make sense to me. And the same thing is true when it comes to skin color for someone to hate another person just because that other person is white or black or brown or tan or whatever. That that's just idiotic. It's uh, it's very confusing, at least from where I see people. Um, I don't look at I mean, I do see that you're a man. Right. And I see that you're darker than I am, but I, I don't initially th- categorize you as evil or bad, but people do. Um, people see you as a villain. People see me as a villain. And, and that's what I think I want this to this conversation to get people thinking about who do they think is a villain and who do they see as a hero? Because that's what the events of 2020 really brought forth to us. And I think visibility has has shown us these problems and people are taking stands, but is it changing the fundamental problems of these issues? Um, yes and no. It is a real complicated question because it's a very complicated issue because we have these people in our worlds and depending on how they view their world, then their experience shapes who they view as the villain and who they view as the hero. And to that end, it's that person's paradigm. It's what they're dealing with. It's how they've shaped their lives and live on a day to day basis. But I can only speak on my experience. I don't know. Um, I do hope that that answers your question, but I hope your question can be further answered as our own associate producer, Sean Marshall, speaks with Captain Clarkson of Sterling Correctional Facility. Yo, watching television from inside a prison. There's a great divide, neither side would listen. Cocking pistols out the window goes to optimism. I hear it's Black Lives Matter versus cops and Christians. Not to Captain, welcome and thank you for taking time to be a part of what I feel is a necessary and hard conversation that more people need to be having. So if you wouldn't mind, could you please give our listeners a brief idea of your background, maybe as it pertains to law enforcement, and explain why you feel it necessary to be a Blue Lives Matter proponent? Well, I've been doing, uh, I'm uh, 45 years old, and I've been doing this for 24 years. I believe that uh, all lives matter, not just the ones that we want to point fingers at and say, they all matter. I'm in blue because I feel like I make a difference. I feel like I can make a difference in other staff's lives plus offenders' lives. So I, you know, I I hope that when people get done meeting me that they find something that they can take away from to make their own lives better. And I I mean, I know you personally. I've had the pleasure of being able to meet you myself. Some years ago, I was incarcerated at Sterling, and I've seen – how you interact with inmates. And I must say that I have a great respect for how you do conduct yourself because you do, even in that uniform, assert inmates' humanity. And that's one thing that I've always respected about you. And I'm very curious, you know, with political tensions being at an all-time high right now and, you know, with these divisions existing as they do in the world, I'm curious, you know, a person like you, what type of flack you have received by being an open, either Blue Lives Matter proponent or even voicing the words All Lives Matter, because oftentimes when people hear those words, it's, it's inflaming. And especially you being a white man, they see that, and I think some would automatically ra- label you as racist and saying that, right. or you automatically being a part of certain racist camps. You know the rhetoric that's out there. So I'm just curious, what type of flack have you received by being an open proponent of Blue Lives Matter or just All Lives Matter? Well, I, I, have, I have even T-shirts that say, you know, 
support blue stuff like that you know because i think it's important for people to know that you support those things but i think that the the more important thing and i i don't get a lot i get maybe i get some looks every once in a while from people that but you know the thing is is it's about the way you treat people regardless of of which side you're on and and as as you said i i try to treat all inmates and and staff and everything equally i've always been a component of you don't treat them like they're a number you treat them like they're a person and you give them the respect that that you want and then if you give them that respect then you get that respect back because your definition of respect and my definition of respect are two different versions of the same word because um you were raised different than i was so obviously we're going to have two different definitions of what that word is and in order for me to respect you the way that you want to be respected you have to teach me what respect is to you and I have to teach you what respect is to me if I want that respect from you. And that's the biggest thing that a lot of people in in blue and outside don't understand. They think that just because they understand what respect is to them that everybody should give them that respect. And that's one of the biggest that's one of the biggest issues. And when I say I'm a component of Blue Lives Matter and and all lives matter it's because I believe that every organization, regardless of what it is, has its black sheep. Do I believe that everything that police do is right? No. But you can't hold all people in blue responsible for what a few people do. Just like people that work at Walmart. You're going to have some that are going to break the law. They're going to do stuff that, that you know, they'll steal from the store or whatever. But that doesn't mean everybody does that that works at Walmart. So... To say that all cops are bad because of something that one person does, I mean, I and, and I get it because I've had staff out tell me that, you know, man, I hate it when an inmate has a bad encounter with a staff member and then they take it out on all of us. But why do we do it to them then? We have one offender that makes us mad and then all of a sudden the rest of the day we're treating them all like crap, right? So you can't do that, especially if you don't want them to do it to you. So you have to individualize everything around here. And that's what that's what that's where a lot of this comes from. I mean, who was it? Uh, Morgan Freeman said, "You want to get rid of racism in America? Stop talking about it. Don't call me a black man. I won't call you a white man. We're just men. That's the common ground. Exactly. We stop bringing race into it and start treating people for who they are, rather than the color of their skin or the color of the uniform they wear. That's that's the beginning of it. Is you you take color out of it." I definitely feel like getting rid of those labels is a necessary part of it, but we also, I feel, need to diagnose those problems that exist. And I think one of the large problems that exist in the world is that we're failing to recognize these ills or people are overlooking them. They don't care to address them. And I think until we get to that place, like we really can't have those hard conversations. And I think that's why like Black Lives Matter, when they emerge, the reason why they're making their voices heard as they are is because they're like, look, we've been sweeping so much under the rug for so long. There are so many problems that we have not addressed. So I hear you. I do agree. I'm one of those people that feel that we should get rid of all these labels and that even in compartmentalizing and being tribalistic and us being in our individual camps, that in itself can be dangerous. So I do want to ask, when you first saw Black Lives Matter emerge and begin to find momentum, like what were your initial thoughts about the group on a whole? Why are you destroying the cities you live in to prove that you're not doing anything wrong? That was the first thought. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. How, why are you destroying the very place you, are, you live to get a point across. I want to point out something that you just said. You were quick to point out the rioters and looters that were burning buildings, right? The actions of a few bad actors are who we're pointing at to define the many. Because when you hear these political pundits talk about Black Lives Matter, or on my end of it, when you hear Black Lives Matter proponents talk about the police officers, what are each side doing? They're pointing to the bad actors. Every time Black Lives Matter proponents get on TV, the first thing they point to is Derek Chauvin and the worst examples of law enforcement. And every time staunch conservatives get on TV and point to BLM, instead of acknowledging the grievances that they have and the merits behind them, they're pointing to these bad actors, which are the few. 
Let's be clear. These people that are burning the cities, that's the minority. And I acknowledge that it's wrong. I don't think that violence is going to get us anywhere, but I understand the violence. I understand the outrage. But those are still a select few compared to the masses that are trying to do this diplomatically. So that kind of brings me to another question that I want to throw at you, uh, Captain Clarkson. Myself personally, I have no problem saying blue lives matter. I can say that, stand on it, because I respect law enforcement, even you in your position. I realize the sacrifices that law enforcement makes every time they take to the street. Like most men and women that don that badge and uniform, they do so heroically, they do so with integrity, and they do so with honor. So I have no problem saying that. But one thing that I don't understand and why is it so hard for people to say black lives matter. Now, when you hear those words, just that mere sentiment, do you agree with that or do you automatically equate it with the organization and thus rebuke it? No, I, I absolutely believe that black lives matter. Therefore, I also agree that all lives matter. My only issue with the saying the black lives matter is it sounds like no other lives matter, only black lives matter. You see what I'm saying? If I felt the organization was actually out there, because, I mean, you, you know, you, you, you see what mainstream media puts out there. You're going to hear the bad stories because you don't hear the good stories. You don't hear about the white cop that went and saved the little black girl out the river or something like that or the, or the um, black family that saved the white cop from doing whatever it was it was doing. You know, th- that you, don't, you don't hear those stories because that, that doesn't fit the narrative of what the media wants right now because they're, they're using the race thing to feed the flames to keep us separated. I heard this the other day. It was one of the best things I've heard in a long time. It says, if you take it red ants and black ants and put them in a jar, they'll live harmoniously. But you shake that jar, open it up, and dump it on the ground, and those ants will fight to the death because the red ants think the black ants are the enemy. The black ants think the red ants are the enemy. But the person that is really the enemy is the person shaking the jar. So what America needs to do is wake up and see who's shaking the jar. The enemy's not the Black Lives Matter movement. The enemy isn't the Blue Lives Matter movement. The enemy is the one shaking the jar trying to get us to, to, to equate the other one with violence. I agree. That's, that's the difference. So when I, when I, when I go to, to Denver or whatever and I'm walking by people on the streets, I don't like cringe when I walk by people of different colors. I don't, I don't, I don't like think I'm going to get mugged just because I'm walking by somebody but then again every cop I see I don't think I'm going to get help from but I don't think that they're going to do something to me just because of that either if we each take each person individually and we treat that person even the way they want to be treated okay not don't don't go with the golden rule go with the platinum rule treat others the way they want to be treated right but I think that Putting politics into everything is stupid, okay? Because they, they put political stuff into sports now, and it's in, in the movies, and it's, everything's, everything's pointing towards these two, one or the other of the two extremes, right? Well, I, I watch football to get away from my problems, not to take on yours, okay? I don't, I don't care where you stand, but do it on Tuesdays when I'm not watching a game. Because you want to talk about social injustice, I don't make $6 million a year. And what are you doing with your money to help help out? So, I mean, I don't care. I don't care. I, I just don't. Don't do it on Sundays. I quit watching football. I quit watching baseball. I quit watching everything because I'm so sick of it. Like like the only sport I watch is is rodeo because there's – there, there's uh, Ezekiel that, that is a black man that rides bulls. There's all the, the Brazilians that ride bulls. There's all the Australians, the Americans. There's Canadians. That, and, they all, and they all respect each other, and they're all out there doing one thing, riding bulls. They still stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. They still put their hats over their hearts for the, for the national anthem. And America's not the problem. The Constitution isn't the problem. The problem is, is the people that are, that are shaking the jar. So let me ask you then, 
I think there are many that do recognize those agitators, but when it comes to some of these systemic ills that people, many of whom are on the Black Lives Matter side of things or the liberal camps, when they talk about systemic racism or when they talk about police reform and trying to defund the police, do you recognize those? Do you see those as being things that need to be fixed? Do you feel there needs to be more accountability in policing? Absolutely. Do I feel like cops should go through more training before they get on the streets to on how to deal with some of this stuff? Absolutely. There, you have to have more training to become a Major League Baseball umpire than you do to become a cop. But on the other hand, learning how not to break the law is very important because you can't expect somebody to treat you like, like you just robbed a liquor store and you're running down the street with a gun. I'm just saying, I'm not saying that that's, and I'm, I'm not throwing color out there at all. I'm just talking about in general, okay? But that's, that's, the, first, that's the first thing, and, I, and, and, I, and I, I get it. I get a lot of things, but I, and do I think that some cops take it too far? Absolutely, and that they should be held accountable for their actions. But I don't, but nobody want, really wants to defund the police. I don't think, well, when you hear defund the police, what comes to mind? Like, what do you perceive that as being? It, it means that stop giving them money so that we don't have as many. And see, that's not at all what the movement is pushing. So, and maybe it's the politicians' fault, because I think that they do need to be clear in their messaging. And I think that when they push these bills and these, uh, when they have these agendas that they 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 can't leave room for ambiguity and i think that's what's happened with some of this but when this defund movement came about really all they were talking about was taking a lot of those resources and reallocating them to better trained police or demilitarizing them cuz they're like look at all this excessive spending like we should not be pouring all this funding into our SWAT teams and this, down the other. They're trying to take more of a proactive approach, just as you were talking about. They're like, look, we need to be better at de-escalating situations to where we're not pulling up to places where we have to resort to lethal force. So it's not that they're saying abolish the police entirely, let's take all their funding. That's not at all what they're pushing. But, you know, they need these funds to really be going towards something that is helping make these streets safer. And they're like, right now, what we're doing is not working. Like, if we're truly trying to make these societies better and our neighborhoods safer, what we need to be doing is investing in our children. We need to be making sure that these school or these children have better resources, better mentors, better guidance. So I think at the end of the day, it's all about having that proactive stance. And then even with this call for, like, more accountability, how do you feel about qualified immunity and them trying to take that off of the table and having it to where officers, individual officers, are now held more accountable for their actions? Well, do I feel like the, I feel like everybody should be held accountable for their own actions, regardless of whether you're a police officer? Or, I mean, how 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 many politicians get away with whatever they want because they're a politician? I mean, if you want the reform, it's got to start at the top. And you can't have politicians telling Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter or any other component to get out there and keep doing what you're doing, keep tearing stuff up, keep doing this, keep doing that. that those people should be held accountable for their actions. They should, be, they should be brought up on charges of inciting riots because that's what they're doing. They're out there saying, keep, keep it up, keep, keep, keep it up. If you see a Republican, get in his face. Get, you know, start stuff with them. Show how bad they are. We've already acknowledged there's always going to be bad actors and there's always going to be agitators that are stirring the pot and shaking the jar, as you so eloquently put earlier. So here's here's the thing, though, as a as as a as a blue lives matter and as a man that wears a uniform, those cops that go out of their way to do stuff that's that is immoral and illegal in some instances, I want those men held accountable, or women, or whatever. But how many people are sitting there telling the Black Lives Matter people that are rioting to stop doing that and let's handle it peacefully? I haven't heard any of that. It's out there, and I think we can't lose sight of that. You know as well as I do that the media is stoking 
these flames. They choose to have a narrow lens when it comes to reporting these events. So you and I both know that by and large, there are peaceful protesters on both sides of it doing the right thing. But all the media focuses on are the ignorant individuals that are ripping and running the streets, burning stuff down, inflaming hate, because that's sensational. It sells. It's interesting. We can't focus on that. We're going to have the bad apples. Let them be what they're going to be. We need to hold them accountable. This discussion today, like, we need to focus on what we ourselves are doing and how we can better hold all of these individuals, the bad actors included, accountable. So what are some of the other grievances that you've heard from Black Lives Matter that you may or may not disagree with or agree with? Like when, when it comes to criminal justice reform on a whole. Well, the thing is, is that if you break the law, you should be held accountable, plain and simple. Do I feel like they've given out way too harsh a sentences for some and not harsh enough sentences for others? Absolutely. Because that, that's, a, that's our justice system as a whole. There's some countries where you break this law, this is what you do. This is what happens. There's not that, well, 15, four year, you could get four years or you could get 60 years, right, for doing the same crime. Do you feel there are two different justice systems in America? Absolutely. But I don't, I don't think it all has to do with race, and I don't think it all has, I think a lot of it has to do with money, not race. Do you feel it's possible to be both a Black Lives Matter supporter and a Blue Lives Matter supporter? Absolutely. Do you feel people's hidebound allegiance to their respective political parties or movements is serving to unite or divide the country? I think most of the political stuff in the world right now is going to divide the country. Not just, not just America, but divide countries politically all over the world. So if you, were, if you had a bullhorn and you were standing in the middle of protesters from both sides right now and you had their undivided attention, they were listening, they were receptive to your every word, what would you say to these people to unite them? To let stuff go. To what extent? Let the past go. If you don't forgive, you will never be able to move forward. And that comes from forgiving others as well as yourself. Whether or not I ask your forgiveness, if you don't give it to me, me and you will never be able to see eye to eye on anything. I hope we see it. There's a... Uh actually a closing quote that I really want us all to reflect on as we lead this conversation. And Captain, I want to thank you for sitting down with us and having this hard discussion. But uh, I felt like this quote was apropos. And it's argument turns too easily into animosity. Disagreement escalates too quickly into dehumanization. Too often, we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. And George W. Bush was the man that said that. Well, I, 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 I totally agree with it. I totally agree with that. And since, as, as we're closing, I want to say thank you for having me on here. And I, I would also like to say that you've given me some things to think about in, in the way that I look at things based on the fact that, you know, like, like what you said, like I kept going back to the rioters and stuff and judging some of the other Black Lives Matter members based upon that because that is the way that the media portrays all of black lives matter i know that there's people in those camps just like just like different religious sects there's good people in all of them that does that does that make me agree with their religion not necessarily but that doesn't make those people bad because they believe that way either not to mention the pandemic got us building fences where socialism ain't no different than your social distance where peaceful protesters will destroy your business screaming cops is killing blacks just like the bloods and crypts so what's the difference if it's broken we don't try to fix it is black lives matter just a joke that's trying to lie to kick it or denise this is your political position Did you got a question for you we heard clarkson talk about shaking of the jar denise who is shaking the jar Oh man, who's the agitator? Uh, Who is the agitator? The jar shaker. Um, I mean, I could look at Captain Clarkson and say, and I'm just saying this because I could say he is. 
just by what he was saying. Um, I could say we are by what we say. I mean, anybody at any point when you ruffle the feathers or you go against the status quo, you're going to be the agitator. I mean, and I think that's kind of what COVID did to us. It agitated everything. But I will say we can find common ground by doing this, by having conversations, respecting each other on the basic needs. And you say it, you've said it, you say it all the time. It's about educating ourselves and not taking something for face value, but digging deeper. We do have to dig deeper. And I know the takeaway from this interview with the very brave Captain Clarkson, I will say that the man is brave, is when we invest the time to listen to someone, right? Understand what the individual values and meet them there because that's the only way that we'll get something together, right? That's the only way that we'll progress forward is together, is by understanding the other person and meeting them. Not necessarily where we want to meet them. We have to meet them where they're at, right? We can only expect people to be who they are. We can't expect people to be who we want them to be. The reason I, I call Captain Clarkson brave is because in today's cancel culture, It can become a scary thing to speak your mind. It can become a very scary thing to speak your truth. If you feel as if you're not listened to, if you're not heard, or even if you'll be told to shut up and go away. Yeah, because you wonder what matters. I just just thank Sean for giving us this uh, man who has this great perspective. Um, I also like Sean's perspective. Uh, The candid interview... uh, I don't know. Can I answer your question from the top again? Because I go back to the shaking of the jar. I think being conscious too and educated is where we begin to bridge these fundamental issues of our history. And I've learned as an adult is that we are only given so much information for a lot of reasons. And so I really, really challenge people to learn um, the truth of our history as people, as a culture, and I'm not just saying as a like an American culture, I'm saying as your culture, as your, your family heritage, but also as America, how we have come to where we are today. And some of it is ugly and gross, and some of it is absolutely beautiful, because here we sit, zooming through space and time to have this conversation about who's shaking the jar. There is an opening, and Brett Phillips will introduce Leandra Bumpus. Brett is one of our segment hosts here at Within, and politically he identifies as a libertarian. And for about the next 20 minutes, he speaks with Leandra Bumpus, an incarcerated woman at Denver Women's Correctional Facility who is a staunch Black Lives Matter supporter. And she will share with us her raw truth. This interview speaks to the pain of the world we live in, her personal story and her perspective about the scars that we face as a nation. They are illuminating for sure. And uh, I think that it speaks to how we can heal. Okay, Miss Leandra Bumpus, thank you for joining us. So I've been privy to a little bit about your life, and I would like to know about your first experience with authority. My first experience that I can remember um, with someone in authority over me um, was when I was in the second grade and I was about eight years old. My teacher's name was Miss White. And my mother had sent me and my brother to the school with the note. And the note said that we weren't allowed to participate in the national anthem or the Pledge of Allegiance. I didn't understand everything of what that meant. I just know that my mother told me to hand the teacher the note. So I got to school, I give her the note, and I can remember her standing up like in a very frustrated manner. And she made me go out into the hallway and she told me that my mother didn't want us to pledge our allegiance to America and so I could stand out in the hallway. And a few minutes later, my brother came down the hall. And after that, we were able to go back into the classroom, but I remember my mother coming to pick us up. And when we told her, she was obviously extremely upset. And I remember her going in and having an unpleasant conversation with our teacher. When we got home, the very first talk we had about the talk, and the talk consisted of what it meant for 
me and my brothers as black people and the opening to what our experiences will most likely be growing up. She's always said that she would rather that not have been, but at some point, I don't think that there's ever a good time to have a talk with your black children about their blackness within this country. And I remember that's my first experience with understanding and recognizing that I'm a different type of people other than some people who I coexist with. So you talked a little bit about your mom and how you guys were brought up. How did your upbringing affect who you are today and what you believe? I had a great upbringing. You know, I'm from a two-parent home and my family is very proud. And so education was very important in our household because my father always told us that there are people within our heritage that did not have the opportunity to learn. So it's important for us to be able to take advantage of that and speak like we had some sense. But it has formed me into being an audacious, confident black woman like so many other black women that I know, and I'm unapologetic for it. I feel like at an early age, I was groomed into being what the black community calls a strong black woman simply because there's always an anticipation that the black man won't be in your household and so you need to be able to be prepared for that moment if it ever comes and be independent and able to take care of your family and with that being said I'm grateful for that because there's beauty and strength but also it's sometimes as an adult woman an inundation of emotion because Sometimes you don't want to be seen as a strong black woman. Sometimes you just want to be a woman. You want to be a mother. You want to be a sister. You want to be a daughter. You want to be a neighbor. You want to be a woman who has a career. But unfortunately, you know, the America that we exist in never really has given us the option to be to not have that label attached to my identity. So it's a good thing, but it's also weaponized against us. You've alluded to this philosophy or way of seeing the world as a black woman, and I was wondering, can you clearly state how you see the world, given your identity? I will say that the way that the world is presented to me is that when I'm, when I'm talking to a group of people, right, or when I'm talking to anybody who doesn't look like me, I have to make sure that I watch the tone of my voice, that it's okay to be educated, but it's not okay to kind of flaunt your education because then it's seen as you're too confident and you are reminded of your place within society. If my passion becomes too much for people, then it's seen as being an angry person instead of being a hurt person who has seen people murdered or you've gone through things or you've witnessed things or family members have gone through things. We'll say, for instance, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, right? These women are loud sometimes, they're obnoxious, but the way that it's breaking down is that it's sassy, right? But if I say the same things, it's seen as being an angry woman. If I'm acting, or anyone who's like me acting in the same behaviors, is seen as ghetto, you know, trashy, or beneath me. With that being said, it's just always been presented that way. I know that I read an article in the New York Times where there's 250,000 black women just disappeared. Nobody knows who's kidnapping them. Nobody knows where they're, going, where they're going. Nobody knows anything, and yet that's not one of the top stories. It's, it's not relevant. You know, we're often overlooked as if we don't have an equivalent to the black man. When this nation has put us alongside the black man, we were in the field with them. We're beat with them. We're whipped with them. We're killed with them. And yet we're often the last subject to be recognized in any type of topic of the conversation. We're always the last. And, you know, it's unfortunate. Can you tell me about a story or a time when that label placed upon you affected your life? I can use being here. You know, I was approached by a guard. We were having a a little celebration of a birthday party. And the theme of the party was black girl magic. And it was just something that is a slogan throughout the black community about the celebration of black women and just everything that entails that. So we put up things like there were picture of, pictures of black women in, in the police 
came to the floor that we were on and they were walking around and they were observing it and then somebody brought out a camera and they were taking pictures and we couldn't figure out what, what the problem was, what the issue was. So when this officer approached me, she said, well, who's having this party? And I, we're like, you know, we are, it's four people, four black women. And she was like, well, don't, don't you think that this is racist? And I said, no, I don't. You know, this is just the theme for a celebration. It doesn't mean too much. And she said, well, you need to watch your tone. Now, my tone couldn't have been any more calmer. I'm, I'm calmly answering her question because I'm, I'm respecting this woman who's an authority. So I had to make sure at the same time while I'm having a conversation with this woman that I had to keep my hands down and behind my back and I had to watch my tone and watch the way that I looked at her and watch the way that I spoke just so I wouldn't be seen as aggressive or an intimidation. And I still was seen as that because that's exactly what she told me. So in today's environment, there's a lot of perspectives and movements going on right now. Where do you land on the spectrum of movements? I feel like I know, but I definitely want to give your voice room. You know, Brett, I, I want people to remember that blue lives is an occupation. It's not a race. And the occupation of law enforcement is just as important as any occupation that's conducive to the growth of America. But blue lives is not a race. And we should remember that when people say blue lives, you know, there are black officers who face racial oppression within the police community. Do blue lives matter to other police officers when it entails a black man? You know, that's the question that they need to remember to ask themselves, you know, and when we say, you know, all lives matter and people get upset about that or when All Lives Matter is being said, they do. Anybody with a heartbeat within this world matters. A wrongful death or a murder of anybody is uh, an atrocity. It's a tragedy and a trauma. And those things are important. What we forget though, is that black people are separated from All Lives Mattering. We wanna be included in that. Unfortunately, we're not. So when we say Black Lives Matter, these three words are a compression of what we mean by saying, you know, I don't want to die today before my time. I don't want my mother and father to be buried because they know their rights. I don't want my brothers to be choked out on the sidewalk or choked out in the street with a man with a knee on his neck for nine minutes with hatred in his eyes, right? I don't want my sisters to be laying in their bed and a bullet pierces their brain in the most vulnerable state that a person can be. I don't want my neighbors to be at home and all of a sudden they're killed in their own home on their own couch eating ice cream, right? I don't want my nephews to be walking down the street in athletic wear with a hoodie eating a bag of candy and be deemed as a threat and killed. You know, as the people were tired of having to choose between the red pill and the blue pill when they're both bad. So when we say, you know, Black Lives Matter, we don't have time to <laughs> always say these things. We just want to wrap it up into three words and hope that that's understood because we're not saying that nothing else matters when we say that our lives matter. It's, that's not what we're conveying at all. You know, this is not a fashion statement. This is not a new trend that you can learn on TikTok. This is a way of life. And it is a way of life that we, we've been going through since we touched this country in shackles. That is so intense and I appreciate your passion. So you mentioned Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, and of course, Black Lives Matter. Is there any common ground between them that we can find? For me personally, no, it's not. Because like I said, you know, blue is is an occupation you know and they still oppress their own officers where is the common ground in that our movement has been going since we got here right and it's 2021 and we're still in a movement for life liberty and the pursuit of happiness within this country you know we're still asking we're still marching we're still pleading our leaders are still rising. The common ground for us is that we're simply just still, and that's unfortunate. You know, no one else is doing that except for us. 
So no, I don't believe that there is a common ground, but I pray that we're able to find it as one people. Okay, so what are you doing now to combat racism? What I'm doing, I'm continuing with my education to become a lawyer for criminal law. I understand what the problem is. I've always understood it. I'm, I'm a part of the solution, though, like many people in my position are. It's not just myself. There are other women who are trying to do that. There are men who are trying to do that, who are doing that, not trying, who are doing that. Because I want to be able to help advocate to end mass incarceration. Right on. Education is important. So do you worry about unintended consequences for your beliefs and the things that you're acting upon these days? Of course I worry about unintended consequences. I believe our people have always been privy to the consequence of learning how to read and write, to the consequence of the right to be able to sit in a restaurant or sit in the front of the bus or preserve our right to vote. You know, even within this environment, I worry about how I'm projected or what can happen to me when I speak about discrimination from people who are incarcerated with me or people who are in authority over me. That is the consequence, but it's a consequence that I'm willing to take and I'm not afraid because what I want to accomplish is openness. I want transparency. I want to be able to continue to speak um, our unvarnished truths for humility, because I believe in the goodness of humanity. I really do. And I believe that we can move forward and, and, and fix this as a people. And it's a risk that I'm willing to take because the people before me have taken it and I'm no different from them. Have there been any good consequences? The consequence, like I said, for the accomplishment, it's, it's a, an America that we all wanna live in. That's the good consequence. If the fight, if the activism, if all these things that you believe in and are fighting for were to come to fruition, were to come to life, what would that look like? What would America look like? The world would be a place where we can exhale for once. It would be a place where I can go to a store and not be followed. I can rise within my career path and not be overlooked or underpaid because I'm a black woman. And we probably would be able to diminish housing projects and violence within our communities because there's a lack of jobs, there's a lack of employment. Um, we can combat drugs because of the lack of employment and the violence. Our children would be better educated and high school graduations would be fuller instead of dispersed because our school system is overly crowded with underpaid teachers and outdated books. And I look forward to that. I look forward to my daughter, both of my daughters, I have two, never ever having to tell me that somebody reminded them that they were black before they were anything. I look forward to that. I look forward to my grandmother, God bless her, she is, still with us and she has pictures of her um, marching in for civil rights her first one of her pictures as a teenager um, voting and I remember us celebrating that both of my grandmothers at the time um, how proud they were to see a black president and how worried my grandmother is right now to all the work that she's put in and a voting right can be gone within the matter of hours because somebody is mad that he did not win a fair election. You know, I want that not to be a worry that we would ever have. I don't, I don't want to continue to mourn people who look like me. Even though I don't know them, I know the experience. And I think I, I speak for everybody um, within the black race that says we all as a people look forward to that. All right. I like how you put that. So what do you think is necessary to bring this country together? I think that that is not the responsibility of black people to continue to carry the burden of opposition who's been opposed since we got here. 
to our equality. I don't think that's our burden any longer. You know, we didn't poison anybody's community. We didn't enslave anybody. We didn't oppress anybody. We didn't take anybody's rights, right? We're not the cause of the bifurcation of this nation within its people. So, and yet it's still our position to have to extend an olive branch for something that we did not do because we're still singing and dancing and creating songs for unity. I think that unity has to begin with white leaders speaking to white America, asking them, what can we do to extend an olive branch to the people of this nation? Because to me, unity begins with the ones who broke it. We didn't break anything. You know, there's still a debate about if we deserve reparations as a people, all while majority of black people carry the surnames of their ancestor slave owners. Why is that a debate? We need to rectify that. But I think that unity for once begins with white leaders stepping up because we've done our part. We, we haven't discouraged anybody from joining the fight to, for equality. And as a matter of fact, throughout our history, there's been so many white people who've played important roles in that. We've never denied that. And it's important and they, ha they are valued as much as our leaders are. But in today's society where this nation is clearly divided, it's no hiding it. No one tries to hide it. You know, it's time for white America to step up and their leaders have to be able to step up and communicate with its people and rectify this problem. So we're talking about the great divide. So what would your call to action be in order to close that divide? My call to action, as I stated before, and I stand by that, is for white leaders to step up and extend this olive branch to our people. And what I want my people to do is to accept that olive branch. I want us to accept that so that we can move forward because we can't keep ourselves in a position. Uh, we, can, we can honor where we've come from and we should never forget what we had to go through. We should never forget about people who have died on our behalf. We should never forget that. But to honor that, we need to be able to move forward as a people. I want us to accept that olive branch. I want us to accept opportunities for education. I want us to accept the opportunity to own a business, to own land, to own homes, to be a free people and not take that opportunity for granted. It's funny how we can't hide Driving down the same roads that leave us tired, tires. It's clear to see they wear out too. What kind of broken window do you stare out through? It's true. It's almost like we sharing glue. We and I quote Leandra. This is not a new trend you can learn on TikTok. <laughs> you can't learn this on TED Talk, baby. You can't get this on TED Talk or TikTok on YouTube. You can't do any of that. These are lived experiences. And I think that that's what needs to be listened to. And I think you said it. Respect. And Leandra's truth makes me really want to ask everybody that's listening which lives do matter and Leandra is so strong in her convictions and her truths and her experience is so it's deep and I felt it I felt it as a new level of anger towards the systems that we have accepted in this beautiful country of ours so my question for you then is there more than just anger that are in your feelings when you listen to this, when you listen to Leandra and Brett? I really honestly, Andrew, and uh, I don't think how I feel is important. Do you, and I say that from who I am and the, the privilege I've had. I want to know how you feel after listening to Leandra. Denise, your feelings are always relevant and important, you know, especially to me and our whole team. But to answer your question, I do. I have several feelings, but I also have a question for you. And that is, how long do you beat a dog before the dog turns around and bites you? I say that for two reasons. And I liken the black race to animals because one, when our country was physically built off the exploitation of other people, black and brown people were considered property in much the same way dogs and cats were considered property. 
not even considered full human beings. And the greater population of our country was taught that black and brown people are animals, that we don't have an ounce of humanity and that we shouldn't be considered human. And secondly, to that same end, how much abuse is a person supposed to take before they say that it's enough? Now, me personally, I'm not walking anywhere. You know, I'm not marching anywhere. I'm not. And that's because I don't believe marches accomplish anything. I don't. And there are going to be people who think I'm ridiculous for saying that, but it's just how I feel. You know, I have a right to my opinion in the way I think. And that's because in the history of mankind, the only thing that has brought forth changes is when there has been bloodshed. The civil rights movement was moved by people that have been beaten, murdered in the streets. And that's how laws were changed. It wasn't changed because of marches. Laws are changed in the voting booth. They're not changed on the streets. The publicized violence that we saw in the the year of 2020, when everybody was at home with COVID, I think what was good for the social growth of our nation was to see the historic pillars of racism that we sit on. I agree. And you know what? I will have to say this um, because I, I mean, I fundamentally disagree with marching, even though that's Leandra's truth. However, I will say this. I do applaud her and I do respect her, you know, because in my opinion, she's brave, you know, to state what she did state, because historically speaking, let's be real. Right. Women have been shit on in our society. I think the fact that brave Captain Clarkson spoke what he felt was his value system and Leandra speaking her value system and both of these people were off of their lived experience. I, I I can't say that it's it's good or bad. That's the thing is I think that's the bridge is this planting your flag on one side or another is fine. It's it's being able to listen to one another and just be like, hey, human. Hi, human. Uh, I might not like what you're saying, but maybe I have to be educated enough to go. That's OK. You're not there yet. And, and, and maybe that's even a judgment right there. Like, you're not there yet. That's fine. I just need to listen to you and go, you are a human being with basic needs, basic wants. And just acknowledging that may soften my hard stance and my flag in the sand. And it may be it'll transform by listening to you or Leandra Maybe I'm just a little bit more curious as to why she believes what she believes or why he believes what he believes. Instead of being angry, I think it needs to be a moment of curiosity. Staking claim to our beliefs, Denise, right? Staking claim to our beliefs can be done and should be done. We should believe what we believe, and that's okay. As people, you should always have the right and the freedom and the room to believe whatever it is you want to believe regardless if the next person agrees or not. But I caution people to not become so certain that their way is righteous. I believe curiosity has to be a constant. We always have to ask questions and we always have to be curious and we always have to do what you just said. We always have to ask questions and have a conversation, understanding that this person is a human. Because exploration is how we have built this country that we do live in now. It's how we left other continents, how we prove the earth is not flat. We have to be brave and curious. It's written on the wall, you can see the shine. These are the tides of the blind following the blind. Drawing lines in the sand, saying to society. And trying to walk down the middle of a great divide. So within season two, we have our resident poet, William S. Graham from the Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center back with us in the virtual room. In all of our interviews, Will sits, listens, and then crafts an individualized poem for each interview. Here's Will. The Great Divide. Don't you hear them yelling? Pick a side, pick a side, pick a side. As if I'm supposed to hide. How I feel versus your shield connected to your family ties. In my mirror, I see an individual as such. 
fighting to be what I know to be true and doing as much as I can. Instead of shaking the jar, I ask, do you take a stand? Or better yet, do you even understand? One nation, one flag, one land, one sink, washing blood off all our hands. You see, to dance around the issue means nothing to us all, as if we're supposed to pick a side. But when did we go from a country that multiplies to the great divide? For more content, music, poetry, and visual art, look deeper within at thisiswithin.com. Within is Ashley Hamilton, executive producer, Andrew Draper, co-host, Denise Presson, co-host, Terry Mosley, producer, Angel Lopez, media production and creative support, William S. Graham, Denver Complex creative consultant, Sean Marshall, associate producer, Travis Barnes, creative music producer, Sarah Berry, associate producer, Matthew Labonte, segment co-host, Brett Phillips, segment co-host. Within is a collaboration between the University of Denver Prison Arts Initiative and the Colorado Department of Corrections. Thank you for listening and choosing to look within. Yo, watching television from inside a prison. There's a great divide, neither side would listen. Cocking pistols out the window goes the optimism. I hear it's Black Lives Matter versus cops and Christians. Not to mention the pandemic got us building fences. Where socialism ain't no different than your social distance. Where peaceful protesters will destroy your business. Screaming cops is killing blacks just like the bloods and crypts. So what's the difference if it's broken? We don't try to fix it. Is Black Lives Matter just a joke that's trying to lie to kick it? Or are you with it? This is your political position. Did you visit any folk in critical conditions? Don't say you did it if you didn't. We won't even buy it. That ain't no different than them dudes who came to town to riot. Tore up our cities when they're done and that's when they retire. The next time we see them come is when they gentrify us. It's written on the wall. You can see the shines. These are the ties of the black. Father.